You can go to Acts chapter uh, 9, and this kind of moves into um, kind of a final announcement and off of a missionary announcement. Um, Because it's in Acts chapter 9, we see Saul beginning his preaching ministry. And it's just incredible because Saul of Tarsus, uh, early on in Acts chapter 9, he was a blasphemer. He was persecuting the church of God, doing everything within his power to arrest Christians uh, man, woman, child, drag them off in chains, traveling around the globe to uh, persecute Christians, thinking that he was offering God a service. And uh, and then the Lord just accosted him while he was on the road to Damascus and just in a very sovereign way, just confronted him and said, why are you persecuting me? You know, you've been kicking against the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You've been kicking against the goads. You've been resisting the truth of the gospel to the extent that now you're persecuting me. What is up, foo? You know, and uh, and Saul, you know, Saul repented right there on the road and said, Lord, what do you want from me? And uh, and then he went through that process of going to uh, Damascus to the street called Straight and um, Ananias met him there early on in the book of Acts and, and baptized him. And when Ananias came and prayed for him, uh, scales fell off of his eyes, something like scales fell off of his eyes. And that Saul of Tarsus was a new creation. He was a new man, uh, with a new message. And, uh, and he went from being the persecutor of Christians. Uh, by the end of our chapter today, we'll see he's persecuted with the Christians. And so now we have a new Saul. In a little while, he'll be called Paul. He'll have a name change. Right now, we're still calling him Saul. And it says there in verse 20, it's picking up from where we were last in the book of Acts. Immediately, he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. So here we have a guy, beginning of the chapter, he's persecuting Christians. He's dragging them off uh, to prison. He's uh, consented to the death of Stephen. You read about that, the first verse of chapter 8. He was killing Christians. And now by 920, he's preaching Christ. He preached the Christ in the synagogues. One preacher said, right away, Saul became a gossiper of the gospel. I like that. I was like, gossip, bad. Gossiping about the gospel, good. So if you're a gossip, you know, if you're a nosy Nelly, if you're a tail bearer, the words go down like tasty trifles, the Proverbs tell us, you know, just transpose that from gossiping about people to gossiping about Jesus. Just tell people about Jesus and what he did and who he was. That is the role of every Christian to be an evangelist, to be an evangelist, to preach the Christ. I love that word evangelist, evangel, coming from the Greek, euangelion. Uh, uh, the V kind of looks like a U uh, in, the, in the Greek, euangelion, and it means the good news from the battlefield. And just being a bit of a military history buff and just reading a lot of books, you know, and I just picture in my mind some epic battle, you know, outside of some villages in a big field and, and the good guys win, you know, and you got 
some young squire or something on a horse, you know, that hops on a horse and goes running back to the back lines and running through the villages of the people and saying, we did it. We pushed them back. You know, we've vanquished the enemies. You know, we've beaten back the foes and just riding through just at top speed, telling the good news, you know, and that's what we do as Christians. We have that call to be evangelists and we just tell the good news. The good news from the battlefield of what Jesus has done. We gossip about the gospel. Uh, And you hear at Calvary, and we're nothing special. I just think this is what every church should be doing. It's biblical. We just look for every opportunity that we can to be evangelizing. Lord, help us to be evangelizing. What are ways that we could be out in the community telling people about Jesus, you know, and uh, you know, in one season, it may look like, you know, we have a soup kitchen, you know, for six years, we ran the Oasis soup kitchen here and the Lord brought that ministry to a close for us. Uh, you know, we had a, a homeless ministry or we had uh, grandma Barb had such a wonderful ministry for a few years. Um, you know, Christmas time providing gifts and just having a giant bazaar where, you know, some of the impoverished in the community who can't afford gifts for their kids come down and, and, uh, and just pick out gifts, free gifts for your kids and we'll share the gospel with you there. And, um, uh, you know, we may do something like signs of life as we've done in the past summers down on the downtown with big signs, just telling people that Jesus loves them, that there's hope in these dark times. It may be, you know, the ranching ministry that we have and just getting to share the gospel with cowboys out there in the branding trap or at the Polina rodeo, the Polina ministry. We're just, Lord, where would you have us? What do, where can we get in to be sharing the gospel with people? And, uh, and just thinking of Polina, we have a, you to be praying tomorrow. There's a 4th of July outreach that we're doing out in Polina. There's a um, the store has been opened back up for over a year now and they do a little 4th of July thing and 4th of July, if you've ever been to Polina, there's Polina city road, they call it, and it goes right through Polina and there might be six houses or something like that. And our church and, uh, and the store and Ed and Spanky, you know, those two guys, you know, and, uh, Susie, right? Our Susie that we love and Steven and, and a couple of houses there. And there's this one little, they started the school and they have a little 4th of July, July parade and just, you know, and then it's over and yay, you know, we light stuff on fire. Um, but, uh, tomorrow I'll just be praying because, uh, there's some vision to have some like carnival booths out there and to just be providing something fun for kids to do and some cornhole and to just be sharing the gospel and, so, uh, Courtney's carrying that on her heart with Holly Rossi. And so just be praying for that and maybe even come out if you want to come out and just be a light out there, uh, tomorrow. Um, so you can visit with Courtney, but just, Oh Lord, just what can we do? How can we do it? And, uh, we're just seeing impact in the community through that. Michael Green wrote a book called Evangelism in the Early Church. And he said, unless there is a transformation In the contemporary church life so that once again, the task of evangelism is something that is seen as incumbent on every Christian. We are unlikely to see much headway through techniques of evangelism. You know, this is New Testament Christianity is that the responsibility of evangelism is for every Christian. 
Every Christian is called to open up their mouths and tell people about Jesus. Now, some have the gift of evangelism. We do see that in the New Testament. Some are nicknamed the evangelist, like Philip the evangelist. But every Christian is called to, in some way or another, open up that mouth and be bold and make known the mystery of the gospel and to just gossip about Jesus. Just talk about Jesus. And so we just pray regularly for our church that we would be those that bear that responsibility um, so that the techniques of evangelism are affected. Uh, it doesn't just rest on the Courtney Papinot or the Holly Rossi, like, have fun with that, you know, or it doesn't just rest on Heidi, you know, who bears that signs of life ministry on her heart so heavily, you know, or it doesn't just rest on the pastors or the Nepal team, like, all right, we got 11 of us in the church that want to tell people about Jesus. No, it's imagine if every one of us went out this week and just told one person this week about Jesus. How many people is that in Crook County? that hear the message of the gospel this week. It's like 40 or something. I don't know. I'm not counting, but uh, bear that responsibility. Let the Lord impress upon you that. Now, there's this incredibly incredible culture thing that's happening with Saul here. And that was that uh, there was a custom in the synagogues of the day that if you were an able Jewish man, you had an opportunity where you could speak from the scripture in the synagogue. And you'll see that, uh, you see that with Jesus in the Gospel of Luke when they let him come up to the, the pulpit and read from the book of Isaiah. You'll read that with Acts later on where he uh, opens up the scroll and he speaks. And, and so uh, Saul had this great um, uh, privilege of wherever he went and especially being trained up at the feet of the great Jewish professor and teacher Gamaliel. Uh, Saul could stand up in any synagogue and speak. And what was his message with this great responsibility in the synagogue? His message was preaching Christ and something about Christ. Do you see it at the end of verse 20? That he's the son of God. That he's the son of God. So as you're out this week gossiping about the gospel... I don't know what to say. I don't know what I would say. I don't know who. I, start with this. Jesus is the Christ. What is what is Christ? Well, it's his last name, so that's pretty easy. Rory Rogers, you know, uh, you know, Tyler Bates, right? Chris Cross, Applesauce. That's his last name, and he's gonna kill me for that one. Um, been waiting to figure out how to fit that into a sermon sometime, and I just did it. Um, Jesus Christ. Isn't it nice to have a last name? No, it's not his last name. It's his title. Okay, Christ speaks of him being the Messiah, the anointed one of Israel, the rescuer, the champion, the hero of heaven that Israel was looking for. And so our message can be the same thing. Hey, do you know, do you ever wonder why they call Jesus, Jesus Christ? Like, I don't know his last name. No, funny you should say that. I know a guy named Chris Cross Applesauce, you know. Anyways, uh, Christ isn't his last name. It's his title that he's the champion. He's the hero of heaven, you know. And, and, and then what else can you share about Jesus? He's the son of God. And so, you know, oh, what does that mean? 
You know, visiting with a Jehovah's Witness. They're going to love that. Oh, see, he was created. He was created by God. Colossians chapter 1. He's the first begotten one of God. And Oh, see, he's just a created one. No, son of God doesn't mean that he was created. But it's a cultural thing that everyone knew. When someone would say they were the son of someone, it means that they were the same thing. They were of the same substance as, or in Colossians case, it doesn't, when it says firstborn, it's not speaking of the first created one of God. It's speaking of the first ranked one as in the firstborn son of God. And this isn't just like, well, nice on you, Rory, for like making that up that it doesn't mean born, but no, this is like what everybody understands it means. This is what Jesus knew it meant. This is what Paul knew what it meant. This is what the Jews of the day knew what it meant. That when Jesus called himself the son of God, he was calling himself God himself. Okay. And John five is a place where you see that John five seventeen and 18. Jesus said this, my father has been working until now and I've been working. So me and the father have been working together. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill Jesus because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father. Now, listen to this. It's in the Bible. Making himself equal with God. Okay. So when when Jesus is saying God's my father, he's saying like I'm equal with God. Jesus knew he was meaning it that way. The Jews knew he meant it that way. Uh, The apostles knew that. And in Matthew, when Jesus is on trial, uh, the high priest will rip his clothes saying, he has spoken blasphemy. The high priest had asked Jesus, tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus said to him, it is as you said, nevertheless, I say to you, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming in the clouds of heaven. So Jesus isn't just getting uh, eccentric here. He's actually like, I'm not only the son of God, I'm the son of man, which everyone knew. And especially from the book of Daniel, the son of man spoke of Jesus being God and the hero of heaven towards man. And I'm coming back and I'm going to be at the right hand of the power. I'm in, I'm in a place of glory and authority. And that's when the high priest heard Jesus say that. And I love living in Primeville because we wear those snap button shirts. I see Andy probably has one on today. Looks like John probably has one on today. You know, the snap button shirts, right? Wrangler. Thank you, Joe. You got it on. And you can just pull a Superman real quick, you know? And I really think the high priest wished that the snap button shirt had been invented back then. Because this whole like gunny sack ripping stuff, it got old real fast. The wives weren't too happy every time they'd rip their... But, you know, the high priest rips open his clothes, tears his garments in grief and in agony. Why? Because Jesus was claiming that he was the son of God. To preach Jesus as the son of God meant that Jesus was perfect in his life. And that his work on the cross was a perfect atonement for sin. No man, no created being would have a sinless, spotless blood that could atone for uh, for our sins. To preach Jesus as the Son of God is to preach how God saves us 
through the work of Jesus. And because Jesus is the son of God, he is God. Uh, he is equal in uh, he is equal in worth and value to the father and to the Holy Spirit. And because of this, he's worthy to be worshipped. As you read your Bible and you read your New Testament, Jesus is prayed to. Jesus is worshipped. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in power. This is a place that no man has um, the, the honor uh, but Jesus Christ alone, God alone. F.F. Bruce said, the title Son of God marks him out to be the true representative of, of Israel and as God's anointed king, but it's no mere official title as he understood the heavenly voice, which said to him at his baptism, you are my son. It expressed his unique relationship and fellowship with the father and A.E. E. Harvey uh, finds three aspects of sonship uh, in this title of son of God. That it's his perfect obedience to God, his being the ultimate revealer of God, and his being the authorized agent of God. And Bruce went on to say, the proclamation of Jesus as the Son of God represents an advance on the way in which the Messiahship is proclaimed throughout the book of Acts. And so as we go out and we gossip about the gospel, we talk about Jesus being the Christ. Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the, the champion of heaven, the hero of heaven, the rescuer. Talk to people about that. You think people don't see what's going on in the world today and we need a hero? I'm holding on for a hero. Okay, people are holding on for a hero. All right. They need a rescuer. What are we going to do? Is there going to be a civil war? You know, is there going to be some crazy election thing happen again? What? You know, and it's just people are in turmoil. They're chewing their fingernails down to the nubs, you know, and, and enter in the hero. Enter in the champion whose agenda goes far beyond what we could ever imagine. He wants to rescue every man, woman, and child. All right, let's talk about him as the son of God and all of the implications that that is. And in verse 21, now, I just went on for quite a bit about that, but imagine hearing it from a guy that just a couple days before was on a mission to go arrest some Christians and maybe even kill them. Okay, that's who this is coming from here. And verse 21, all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who call on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? So all those in the synagogue that you remember, Acts chapter nine, early on, Paul had permission from the chief priest to go to Damascus, hand the letters of intent over to the synagogue leader and take any Christians back to Jerusalem to be put on trial with him. Now, instead of handing over papers, uh, warrants, if you will, warrants for arrest, uh, he's actually there telling people, no, 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 you all should become Christians. You all should be Christians. And everyone's like, did I misread the email? Did, did I misread the memo, the office memo? I thought you were coming. I... What is going, you know, am I, am I getting punked right now? You know, am I on candid camera? What? And there's a little bit of confusion, confusion here. They're amazed. They're astounded. The J.B. Phillips translation says all the people were astonished and they were staggered. 
don't know if you've ever had someone, I'm sure many, maybe when Ian and Abby were up here sharing, you were staggered at their message. Can you believe that testimony? He never was out of even Oregon or America. And then he's over in Tanzania. Now he's going to, I'm staggered by what the Lord is doing in the bases. They were staggered to hear what God had done in Saul. And they said, wasn't this the guy? And look at the, the language that's used there. He was destroying those who called on the name of Jesus. That's what he did to the church. Paul himself says, I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and I tried to destroy it. Hey, on a scale of one to ten, how much did you did you destroy the church of God beyond measure? Last night I saw, if you're not following epic Christian memes on Facebook, you got it right now. I mean, it will give you a chuckle every day of your life, okay? And uh, it showed a guy in a, in a nice traditional church from the back, nice white iron shirt. Some of you can appreciate that. Oh, man looks respectable when he goes to church these days, you know, nice white shirt. And then his pants were up to here. Nice nice gray slacks with a black belt all the way up to the armpits and the meme said how high is your calvinism <laughs> okay so so you're like i don't get it um, i didn't either uh, <clears throat> how high is your persecution level i'm up here i'm up to the armpit okay paul says i was persecuting the church beyond measure like I was trying to destroy the church and now he is sharing people how to join the church, be a part of the church. And in verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwell in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. So he astounded and then he confounded the Jews. He perplexed their minds and threw their way of thinking into disarray. And, you know, of course, Saul, as a Jew, he knew the Old Testament and he knew the Messianic prophecies. And so then he was able to just take those Messianic prophecies and show that Jesus fulfilled those things. And that's not a hard thing to do, you guys. Read through the Bible, you know, read your Bible, uh, do a Bible in a year plan, something like that. We do that often as a church. Maybe follow the Bible project or something like that and have some help getting that explanation. Just read your Bible. Go to church. We teach the Bible here, you know, and you'll start seeing just a couple weeks ago, we studied Isaiah 53 and you'll see how you can use the Old Testament to prove that Jesus is the Christ. And I think it was 2012. I was in Israel and I was at the Sea of Galilee and I met some Jews from Holland uh, at the at the restaurant in the Sea of Galilee. And uh, I was a little, like, baffled why they were at the Sea of Galilee, you know. Um, I was like, this is Jesus territory. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, but as I was sitting there, just an older couple, and I found out they're Jewish and that they're on a tour of Israel. And then, just, I don't even know how it happened. Just all of a sudden, I'm able to start pointing to the Old Testament scriptures and how Jesus is the fulfillment of all those things and that he's the Messiah. And it was just a beautiful conversation. It wasn't anything hostile. They weren't even like, you know, most Jews these days, they don't even know what historical Judaism believes. Um, happened in Israel or in Nepal a couple years ago as well. Court. And as you just share that Jesus is the Christ, like they don't really have a lot of refuting to do. 
They don't know who the Christ is. It's been a couple thousand years. The temple has been torn down. They don't got a lot of ideas. You know, they've just become secular. And after I met with, and I just spoke with that guy, I told him about Jesus. And then they went to their room and I went to my room. And the next morning we're going back out to the Galilean restaurant for breakfast. Kind of the, kind of the uh, continental breakfast, you know, that a hotel gives. He goes, I have to tell you what you were telling me about Jesus last night greatly impacted my life. And uh, it was just an incredible conversation and like nothing special here. Just I've kind of read my Bible and heard some teachings on Jesus as the most and share with Jesus that to share with people about Jesus. And of course you'll have some persecution go down, but I believe that you'll have some people say, I have to tell you what you've told me about Jesus has greatly affected my life. You coming down in the shade, bud? Oh, good. Anybody else? Shade time. Get your shade time. Uh, and so uh, he's proving now through the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Now, we're not going to get much into this. There's some commentaries that geek out on this. Um, but you see that little phrase after many days, <clears throat> yeah, turns out it was three years. So, you know, potato, potato, <laughs> many days, three years. Okay. It ended up being three years. You read about it in Galatians chapter one, uh, that, uh, three years, Jesus, uh, rather Saul spent time in Arabia, perhaps maybe in like, so there's two ideas. Maybe he went on kind of a little retreat getaway and spent time with the Lord and he, heard the things concerning the gospel from the lips of Jesus himself and had that apostolic trainings. The only time you'll see something like that um, in history, it's with Saul concerning being an apostle. Um, but also we see also he was an evangelist while he was out there doing this as well. So he was out evangelizing and uh, you can just reference Galatians 1, 13 through 24 for the sake of time. Uh, we won't get into that, but Three years has gone by. Now he's back. He's evangelizing back in Damascus. And now the Jews, have, have they've had enough of this guy preaching Jesus. And they plot to kill him. So beginning in chapter 9, Paul's plotting to kill people, Christians. Now uh, people are plotting to kill uh, Saul. But their plot became known to Saul in verse 24. And they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in uh, a basket. So, <clears throat> so uh, you have just this time that Paul considers a humiliating moment for him. There's nothing super glorious about, you know, having to run for your life and, you know, hide in a basket, be let down through a wall. Um, there's going to be a few times in Saul's life where He's going to have to kind of run for his life or a plot is going to be known. Sometimes he escapes. Sometimes he doesn't escape. But uh, he'll mention this in 1 Corinthians. And it's really has this tone of the weakest moment in his life. Being hiding in the basket and going out the window. And that it was something that was used in him to keep him humble. And much of what I studied this week used this as a teachable moment. For Christians that want to serve in ministry and you kind of want to just get saved and then jump right into like serving and having a role in the church. But, but how the Lord uses a period of 
days, months, weeks, years to equip his people uh, to know doctrine, to know the truth of the gospel, to know the word of God, to know ministry and tact and skill and ability. And uh, just as David spent all those years uh, running from Saul in the desert, you know, he'd been anointed king in his youth. And then he spent all that time running from King Saul and hiding in a cave and, you know, running through the desert and scrounging for food. And this was the anointed king of Israel. What's he doing running for his life? The Lord was making his man in the wilderness. And that's the truth for probably every minister you talk to. It wasn't just thrust into ministry right away. The Lord had those times of small things for us that we could just be faithful in the little things and be serving and serve in obscurity and let the Lord use us uh, to, you know, clean the toilets and stack the chairs and get here early, put the canopies up, take the canopies down, wipe down the porta potties with a Clorox bleach wipe and all those kinds of things, you know, and we still love to do that. Those of us that we still love the small things. Oh my gosh, I miss the days of being in a bathroom and just scrubbing a toilet. That was the life. Man, I miss it. You know, still look for those opportunities to haul chairs, stack chairs, move tables, and all of that. But you gotta be patient. Alright? The Lord makes his man and makes his woman in those times of the wilderness, in those times in Arabia, and in those times of kind of hiding out in a basket somewhere, um, for fear of your life even. And uh, Saul would, would reference that basket um, escape through the wall as uh, really a humbling time. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote that suffering is the badge of true discipleship. That's just every one of us has that mark on our life of going through hard things in the times of agony because it's there that you find yourself on your knees, relying on the Lord, crying out for the Lord, desperate for the Lord. And then later on, when things are a little bit better, you remember this is the Lord that's got me here and it's the Lord that's going to get me through the tough things in the future. And so Saul now, he's spent his time in Arabia and Damascus, and then he goes down to Jerusalem, that capital city of Israel, verse 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. So, uh, you know, everyone's a little confused of what's going on in Saul's life. Like, aren't you the one that literally gave the green light to stone Stephen? And then you went to Damascus to arrest Christians. And then you've been gone for three years doing who knows what. Uh, it was F.F. Bruce, the great historian, that said that the role of agent provocateur was as familiar in antiquity as in recent times. You know, to be fair, they didn't know if he was a double agent. They didn't know if he was, you know, oh, three years yeah, we know what you've been doing for three years. This is all part of, I mean, you hated Christians so much, right? To destroy it beyond measure that for three years, you and your little covert, you know, hidden secret agent friends, you know, you've been making a plan to come in. Oh, yeah, for three years, I've been meeting with Jesus in Arabia, you know? Hey, can I come to your home fellowship group? And then once you let me in, I'm going to get you, you know? And uh, this is, that's a fair thought, right? Now, it was uh, Alistair Begg that said they were right to be cautious 
but their caution needed to be tempered with Christian character. And so it goes on to say, there was one guy, though, that welcomed him, and there was one guy that would reach out. There was one guy that would be an encouragement. And if you haven't read ahead yet, if you can think in the book of Acts, who would there be, who's that one guy that would be an encouragement Who's that one guy that, it's almost like he was just a son of encouragement. It's almost, almost as if that was a nickname that we've talked about in the last few weeks, right? It's old Barney, right? Barney the encourager, Barnabas. His name was Joseph, but he was such an encourager that they gave him that nickname, Barnabas, the son of encouragement. But Barnabas, verse 27, took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had boldly preached at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So Saul kind of tries at first to get into the church on his own, but you have Barnabas who just comes and is the salve that kind of you know, smooths over the rough edges here. Uh, Perhaps Barnabas was already acquainted with Saul and knew his character and his integrity already and was convinced of the genuineness of his conversion. But one way or another, the Lord was faithful when Saul desperately needed a friend in Damascus when he was blind after the road experience. The Lord brought Ananias to come to him and Ananias laid his hand on Saul and said, brother Saul, the Lord has sent me to you. Do you remember that brother Saul, that great term of fraternity. And then, and now in Jerusalem, when Saul needs a friend, the Lord has provided Barnabas, a friend in Barnabas. And you know, there is a great lesson for us here in friendship in, in welcoming and how to be uh, one who follows up with new converts. There's a great lesson in Barnabas on how to follow up with people and how to welcome people. Uh, it's been said that a church family ought to be the most welcoming place or group that we will ever face. And, uh, you know, I think I just rejoice in the Lord in this, that one thing that I've heard about our church is that we're a very friendly, welcoming church. Now, I hope that if you're new here, that's the sense that you've gotten, because that'd be really awkward, like, no one even said hi to me today. You know, um, I'm just saying normally, okay? Uh, we just had that report, and that's very encouraging. I love that, but I say, let's grow in that all the more. Amen? You know, I moved 13 times before I graduated high school. 13 times our family moved. We had a, I had a good stable life early on. I grew up on a ranch and then dad decided to go back to school and he picked a school, a veterinary school where he had to move in the midst of the school to different veterinary schools. He had cancer. We had to move three times in a year due to cancer and treatment places for him. And then after he uh, graduated vet school, we had to move and he practiced, you know, uh, 13 times I moved. I know the pain of going to a new town, uh, going to a new school, going to a new church. Oh my goodness. Isn't going to a new church one of the most painful, hard and scary things you'll ever do? 
I mean, it can be awkward. Sometimes Christians can be awkward. There was a bumper sticker I saw once that said, Lord, save us from your people. You know? And uh, got the guy that comes up with his pants up to here like, Welcome! Sure glad God sovereignly brought you here to me. I'm just kidding. I was a little Calvin. Okay. Uh, but you know, Christians, we can be awkward. We can be harsh. We can be hard. That shouldn't be the case. We shouldn't be harsh and hard. We should be the most welcoming group you'll ever come to. And I think one of my last moves in high school was to Lakeview. And I don't know if you guys know Chad Grogan in the community. Chad is one of my really good friends. We went to Lakeview High School together. And his family just poured into the Rogers family. Just reached out to us, invited us into their home. Um, we were still trying to find a church that fit for us. And we went to uh, a Pentecostal church there in uh, Lakeview. We didn't end up landing there. But they were so friendly. And that day they welcomed us. They invited us to their home for lunch that day. And Chad and his sister Jody would become some of my best friends through high school. Chad lives in uh, Primeville now and is still one of my really good friends. And now his kids are my kids' friends and just got invited to the bar mitzvah for Luke, you know. Now they're Jewish, I guess. I don't know. But, uh, you know, one of those manly birthday parties, you know. Um, and I just want to encourage you guys. This is the role of every person in the church to be a Barnabas. It's the role of every one of, if this is your home, okay, I'm not talking to you new folks here today. I'm talking to, this is your home church. Calvary Chapel is your home church. This is a role for you. That is to be a Barnabas, to be someone who is intentionally considering the people around you in any, to any gathering that we're at and see how are they feeling right now? Are they new? Are they hurting? Are they struggling? Are they alone? Uh, I've heard multiple times people who are afraid to go to church for their first time because they don't want to sit by themselves. So maybe you see someone sitting by, hey, can I sit by you? You see someone without a Bible. Hey, would you like my Bible? I've opened it up to the page for you already. Can I, maybe we could share it, you know. Um, I'll hold it and I'll point to the verses as we go through. You know, they love it when you do that. Just get real close so they can hear you breathe. <sighs> you know. And uh, you've made a new best friend right there. How to win friends and influence people 101 right there. Okay. But be an encouragement. And my life was greatly impacted by people who went out of their way to reach out to me. And like, this is a guy who's got funny posture, big old teeth, giant Adam's apple, mosquito eyes, Quasimodo. I got a thing going. Hard to make friends, you know? And so when someone comes to me and takes the initiative to be a Barnabas, an encouragement, it is incredibly impactful on someone's spiritual walk with the Lord. And you know, here's another thought. I just want to encourage you, maybe today even, find someone that you just don't even know, reach out to them, invite them to lunch. Just invite them to lunch. Can we take you and your family out to lunch today? Can we do that? And just new people, just hear me out. Just let it happen. Just let it happen. Just, just let it. It's going to be okay. Okay. All right. Just go to lunch. It's only going to be for like an hour. Then you can be like, oh, got to go. You know? All right. Reach out. And don't think, oh, someone else will reach out to them. Someone else will do it. Be the one that's like, you're the fourth person to come and ask me out to lunch today. 
You know, some of you young single guys are like, I'm liking this ministry. This is what God's called me to. Want to go to lunch? Let's make it a dinner. Okay. Um, one man said that this is the role of the pew, not of the pulpit. Okay. The pulpit's role, the pastoral role, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You know, the one driving the bus can't be the one walking down all the aisles saying hi to everyone and handing out the peanut packets, you know. Uh, that's all, all of you get to do that, reaching out to the people, okay. And as we, and I just love to hear the reports though of everyone uh, reaching out to everyone, just the other day, I, there was the baptism, and I looked down here, and uh, and there was just a group of, of ladies praying down here out front, and they were all wearing baptism, you know, towels, and people had gotten baptized, and one of the ladies had like an influencer hat on, you know, and I was like, she's cool, you know, and then there were, but, and they were huddled up, and they were praying, and I was looking into that circle, and I was like, I don't even know who all those ladies are. Like, those aren't the elders' wives. Like, who are those ladies that are reaching out to that baptism, that baptized girl, praying for her? That's awesome. They were considerate of that person. And so, you know, this isn't, this isn't necessarily like the, the great emphasis of the text here, but it is something that is special to see, isn't it? That Saul, no one wanted to welcome Saul. What, what would the church be like today if just, that's just how the chapter ended? No one reached out to Saul. He was alone and discouraged and maybe maybe doubting the call on his life, maybe doubting the Lord, you know, because these are your people, man. We're in trouble. But that wasn't how the chapter ended. Barnabas reached out in power. And so just encouragement there uh, for us as a church to be those that reach out. And so verse 28 says, so he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out. You got to love that phrase, coming in and going out. That shows that he was in church, all right? Or he was involved in that giving themselves assiduously to fellowship. He was part of that regular fellowship with the church. Want to encourage you guys, be a part of the regular fellowship that's happening in this church. Sunday, we're here at the park, all right? Tuesday morning, women, where you at? Be there, all right? Child care has been provided for you, all right? Be there at the church, all right? Wednesday, Proverbs in the park, coming in, going out. Thursday, men's morning Bible study, coming and going out. Saturday nights, first and third Saturdays of the month. The Pulse prayer meeting, coming and going out. And where does this great fellowship, prayer for one another, encouraging one another happen? Are you guys having great conversation with one another right now? No, you're being good, quiet people as you should be. Just be quiet and listen to me talk for an hour and a half, all right? Uh, no, there's not that much that, you know, that, that's not where that fellowship happens. It happens when you're coming in. Come early. Help set up some canopies. Visit, all right? And as you're going out, you guys, do me a solid and don't make me race you to your car so I can say hi to you after church, Okay? If you know me, when we're over at the church, I love to try to sneak through the fireside room, run through the courtyard, and get out on the sidewalk to say hi to people as they're leaving, or to say bye to people, you know? You guys are so, so fast. You guys are just so, you got something going on on those Sunday afternoons, don't you? It's like, that person is Sonic the Hedgehog right there. Like, 
They're out of here. Coming in and going out. Guys, that's where the relationships are built. I think of a friend, Chris Elliott of mine, and Cody Acevedo, Isaiah Bennis. I was thinking of my old high school buddies, Chad Grogan, I mentioned him. And when I first started going to Calvary Chapel in Corvallis, those guys, again, like they were cool skater kids that had the Junko shorts on, you know, the Vans. They were really good skateboarders listening to Supertone Strike Back. You know, they were awesome. And I was like this half Western kid, you know, just kind of like, we moved because my dad's a vet. You know, they're like, all right, you know, and these guys reached out to me, brought me into their circle. Every time I would show up to something, all of these guys would go, Rory, and they'd come running over to me. And it made me feel like a billion bucks. And there's no reason why there shouldn't be that kind of enthusiastic outreach to one another in the church as we show up to the park. Perry, you know. Galen, you know, oh, it's so good to see you. Tone it down a notch, okay? And uh, and I bring that up because middle schoolers, look at me. Middle schoolers, okay? High schoolers, look at me. We have youth group, you guys, where we have new kids come in. We have a family where one family was walking by our Halloween outreach, and they just visited with me in about... Four or five months later, they started coming to the church and brought their daughter to the youth group. And a lot of times I'll kind of go up to some of you girls and I'll be like, hey, go say hi to her. (laughs) I guess I'll do it. Hey, little girl. (laughs) What do you like to do? For for your free time. (laughs) You know, you know. And look for those high schoolers. Look for those kids that you know they've been coming for a while. They haven't gotten plugged into youth group. They're the shy. They're the quiet. Guys, you will make these friends that will just be such treasures in life. If you'll just bust out of that comfort zone. We all realize you're an idiot. We all realize they're an idiot. We're all idiots together. We got past that part. Now let's just be idiots together. Right? Just love it on one another. And so he was coming and going out. That's when this good fellowship would happen. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. And so when the brethren found out about this persecution that was going to be coming against him, uh, essentially they had his back. And that's something that our friends that we have in Christ, that's what we do for one another. I love a loyal Christian brother who's got my back. And who helps me know when there's trouble on the horizon. All right. And they found out that there was a plot to kill him. So they brought him down to Caesarea. That's on the coast. Okay. We'll be in Caesarea in November, Israel, 2022. Shameless plug for Israel. Get signed up, people. And uh, we'll be in Caesarea. We'll be at Joppa. We'll be where Peter, at the end of this chapter, he's going to heal uh, a lady and a, and a man. Um, but they took him down to Caesarea. And one... One thing a pastor pointed out here, notice they brought him down to Caesarea. You know, we live in the day and age, everyone's got the Honda Accord, you know, and you can just kind of be like, hey, you need to get out of here, you know, and they're like, I'm out of here. So they get in their car and they drive off and you're like, well, that was a fun friendship, you know, here. And it reminds me of Nepal this last year. In Nepal, we were, we were driving all around Nepal, these long, just boring and hard trips. 
And the Nepali guys, the Nepali pastors were like, even though I live up here, 10 hour drive away from Kathmandu, I'm going to drive with you all the way back down to the city, you know? And you're like, why are you doing that? <laughs> They're like, cause I love you. I'm like, oh, that's great. They, they took the initiative and they went with them to the very end. Uh, worship team, why don't you come on up and we'll wrap up here. Uh, I have three principles of cohesion and follow-up for a growing church here. You know, uh, we're a growing church. We've been a growing church, and especially since the COVID thing, we've all just noticed that just God is growing this body. One sermon I listened to concerning this passage said, uh, the title of the message was, This Church Can Grow. I was like, yes, this church can grow. Not for our fame or that we could boast or something, that more people would know Jesus and he would be glorified in this world. This church can grow. So here's three principles of just the cohesion and a follow-up ministry for a growing church. It's what's called the Barnabas ministry. Uh, one is every member must be on the lookout. Every member must be on the lookout. So look out for one another. Look out for the new people. Look out. And essentially, every member is a greeter. All right? Uh, number two, make the time for one-on-one follow-up. You might have something pressing and important to do. Make the time for that one-on-one follow-up. One thing that I love to do on a Sunday is I have my phone and I have a names list in my phone. And I go up and I meet people and I put their name of their each family member and their kids in my phone. If you're here, I probably have your name in this list right here, okay? A lot of you guys with lots of kids with weird names. I'm like, is that like from the Victorian era? You know, or whatever. Uh, Write it down, write it down. And then I follow up with a text message and just begin a relationship. So uh, share your numbers, follow up one-on-one, make time for the lunch and the coffee and realize the importance, number three, of introducing people to others. And uh, just, oh, hey, you... You're a state trooper. You're a state trooper. Hey, do you guys know? Yeah, we work together. Okay, bad example. Okay. Uh, hey, you're a sheriff's deputy and you're a state trooper and you're a fire marshal and you guys all wear a badge. You guys will be best friends, right? Okay. Or, oh, you like cats? Nobody else here likes cats, but I'll find someone that you can, you know, you know, just introducing people and just bringing that cohesion and that friendship there. And it says that, verse 31, the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. So really, it's the whole area of Israel. This is a special verse here at this point in the book of Acts. They had peace and they were edified. It's a growing church. That's what edify means. I think that's something the Lord is doing here at Calvary Prineville. There's a peace. We're being built up. We're being edified. Some have said it was when that troublemaker Saul kind of went on a vacation down to Caesarea that everyone's like, whew, that guy was causing a lot of conflict around him. Um, but really it was what the Lord was doing. There were peace and edifying, and they walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and they were multiplied. And so a growing church, uh, there we see in chapter 9. Will you guys stand with me?
just where you're at here today. Maybe today's the first day that you've heard that Jesus is the Christ and that he's the anointed one. He's the hero of heaven who's come to save you from your sins, that he's the son of God. And that what that means is that because he's not a man, a mere man, but he's totally God and totally man, his perfect spotless blood is able to wash away your sin. Maybe today, just that was one of the first times that you've heard that, that what Jesus is and has done for you can greatly impact your life, can change your life. Your sins can be washed away and you can be reconciled to your creator. I just want to encourage you, if that's you today, where you're at, just maybe just say a prayer to the Lord. Say, Lord, today I've heard that you are my hero. And I just receive that. I need a rescuer to come and rescue me from my sin. Just receive the washing away of your sin today. Receive free salvation that comes in Jesus. The Bible says that you're given a new heart when you receive Jesus. You're given a new mind. You're given a new nature. And just by faith today, like a little kid receiving a present, just today receive that new heart. A heart that wants to know God and follow after God. And rejoice that your sins are forgiven. Lord, we pray today that you would touch those people today that prayed that out and Draw them in as part of the church. Help them to be plugged in. And we want to reach out to them today and disciple them. Lord, put in us just a a, a courage to go out of our comfort zone and to be Barnabases and to have that ministry of incitement, that ministry of purposeful consideration towards one another where we would reach out And love on people and befriend people as you tell us that a friend must himself be friendly. Lord, let us be friendly. Pointing people to you, Jesus. We pray that you would edify this church in these times we have. The summers in the park, the services in the park, the men's and women's Bible studies. Youth being together, playing at the park and growing in the Proverbs. Let there be that edification happening Let us walk in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort that the Holy Spirit brings. We pray that you multiply our church. We have no desire to just be a big church for the sake of numbers and boasting in numbers. We desire to be a big church because many people are knowing Jesus, being followers of Jesus and going out and telling others of the hope we have in you, Lord. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Let's close in song together. Amen. Well, love you guys. I just uh, stirred so much more for this message as I watched communion happen today and people come down and I'm like, I've never seen them. I've never seen them. I've never seen them. I don't know them. I don't know them. And just burdened for there are just so many new people and we just desire you to be welcomed and to be loved on and uh, just welcome to our church, you guys. Um, have a blessed 4th of July. Be safe. Keep all those fingers. That's a good idea. 
prayed for our nation last night at the corporate prayer meeting of the church. We prayed for the nation. We prayed for our president. We just prayed for just his leadership, the leadership above us right now. Be prayer warriors for those that uh, are leading the country right now. And just don't be grumblers and complainers. Be prayer. How about a little shout out for just the great Roe v. Wade overturn a couple years ago? So many people who've labored for 50 years praying and loving on people and just, you know, the, the little tiny babies that are made in the image of God that now have a chance to live and be used for his glory in this world. That's just an incredible thing. We praise the Lord for that. Thankful to live in this country with you guys. Happy 4th of July. Have a great week. Stick around a little while in fellowship. Say hello to someone. If you're new here, I'm going to hang out up here for a little while. Maybe some of the elders and pastors and their wives, you'd like to be up here. And uh, just you can come meet some of us if you're new here. God bless you guys.